order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Malcolm Wicks. Number one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, I've been asked to, supply, to reply. Before I take my right honourable friend's question, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our sincere condolences to the families and friends of the servicemen killed in Afghanistan in the last week. They were Lieutenant Colonel Rupert Thornlow, Commanding Officer of 1st Battalion, the Welsh Guards, Trooper Joshua Hammond of 2nd Battalion, the Royal Tank Regiment, Lance Corporal David Dennis of the Light Dragoons, Private Robert Laws of 2nd Battalion, the Mercian Regiment, Lance Corporal Dame Elson of 1st Battalion, the Welsh Guards, Captain Benjamin Babington-Brown of 22nd Engineer Regiment, Royal Engineers, and the soldier from the Light Dragoons who was killed in Helmand Province yesterday. We owe these men and all who have lost their lives in service our deepest gratitude. They served our country and the people of Afghanistan with distinction in desperately difficult conditions ahead of the very important August presidential elections in that country. They will never be forgotten. Mr Speaker, I hope that the House will understand if I take a moment too to also offer my condolences to the families and friends of those killed in the fire in Camberwell on Friday. In answer to my right honourable friend, the Government plans to publish a green paper on care and support shortly. Malcolm Wicks. Mr Speaker, I, I know that all members offer their condolences to the families who have suffered such terrible losses, both in Afghanistan, those brave men, but also closer to home in the Right Honourable Lady's own constituency. Given that the costs and care associated with the ageing of our already elderly population is in many respects an unfinished chapter in the history of the modern welfare state and affects many families in Croydon and in all of our constituencies, would the Leader of the House agree with me that we now need to develop quickly a robust social policy that will allow the spreading of both risks and costs. I very much agree with my right honourable friend, who ever since he was in the Family Policy Studies Centre has drawn the attention of the House to these issues. With an ageing population, uh, the number of those over 85 is set to double over the next two decades. This is a major challenge for families and it's a major challenge for the government. We'll bring forward a green paper which will have the objective of ensuring that there is independence and choice in the provision of services, that there is the highest quality of services available to everybody, and that it's affordable too, both for the individual, the families, and for the public purse. Mr Stephen Dorrell. Mr Speaker, may I first associate myself with the remarks the Right Honourable Lady made about those who have lost their lives in Afghanistan and in Camberwell? But, Mr Speaker, is not the government's policy on funding of long-term care accurately summarised as being to procrastinate and to delay? Can the Right Honourable Lady confirm that Tony Blair promised action, action on this subject to the Labour Party conference in October 1997? Since then, we've had the one-list review, we've had a zero-based review, We've had several comprehensive spending reviews and we've had a royal commission. But we have had no action. When will the government deliver the action that the Prime Minister promised 11 and a half years ago? 
this green paper uh, is going to be a very important next step. But it is not true that we have taken no action. Since we've been in government, we've recognised the importance of family care, those who go out to work as well as care for older relatives, and that's why we brought in, brought in the right to request flexible working for those who are caring for older re relatives. That is action. The, that is why we've increased resources for the health services, for the many older people who need health care support. That's why we've increased resources for social services, so that there is domiciliary care available to people who remain independent in their own home, as well as social services residential care. Yes, we will take further steps. We will consult on the challenges ahead, but it is absolutely not true to say that we have made no progress over the last 10 years. We have. Thank you, Mr Speaker. May I join in offering condolences to those who have lost their lives at home and abroad, and particularly Trooper Joshua Hammond, uh, who, who has a very large family in Plymouth mourning his loss. Uh, my constituency is home to a large number of hard-working public sector workers cleaners, cooks, healthcare workers, administrators. Uh, public sector workers have an average pension of £7,000 a year. Does my right honourable friend understand their anger and their concern when those rather modest pensions and indeed their <coughs> modest pay come under attack as being somehow unfair or unreasonable? I agree with my honourable friend. We are strongly committed to public services. We're strongly uh, committed to the work that public servants do, particularly those who work hard, often for very modest incomes, and we make no apology at all for pensions, public service pensions, remaining an important part of the remuneration package of public sector workers. William Hague. Mr Speaker, on behalf of the Opposition, may I also send our condolences to the families of the six people, including a three-week-old baby and two other children, who died in such tragic circumstances in Camberwell, in the Right Honourable Lady's constituency, on Friday evening, an event that was deeply distressing to her constituents and to the whole country. Uh, and I join her, of course, in paying tribute to the seven servicemen who have been killed in Afghanistan in the last week. The soldier from the light dragoons killed on Tuesday and from the Royal Engineers killed on Monday, Lance Corporal Dane Elson, Lance Corporal David Dennis, Private Robert Laws and Trooper Joshua Hammond, who were both just aged 18, uh, and Lieutenant Colonel Rupert Thornlow, who was the commanding officer, as she has said, of the 1st Battalion Welsh Guards. Uh, given these uh, casualties this week, should we not particularly remember this week the, that our forces deserve our gratitude and admiration? And is the government satisfied that everything possible is being done to provide the best possible protection and mobility for our forces there, including the earliest possible increase in the number of helicopters and armoured vehicles? The right honourable gentleman is absolutely right that we must do everything possible to ensure the greatest protection for our troops in the field. And there is no complacency on that. We have increased the number of armoured vehicles that have been procured and brought to availability for our troops, but we're not going to be complacent. There must be more. We've increased the number of helicopters by 60% over the last two years, but we recognise we should do more. And the reason why we want to do 
do more, not only for their personal protection, but is in recognition of the importance of their mission in Afghanistan, not only to that country, but to the region and also for this, the security of this country as well. William Hague. Uh, well, then, Mr. Speaker, we all recognise that it is important to do more, and we will hold the government to the commitments that she has made. Moving on to government policy more broadly, uh, would she put into plain English for everyone the Prime Minister's assertion last week that total spending will continue to rise and it will be a 0% rise in 2013? <laughs> Well, the right honourable gentleman will know that all the figures are set out in the budget book. And, and our commitment is very clear. We are investing now public investment to make sure that we help back up the economy, get through this recession, to make sure that the recession is shorter and shallower than it would otherwise be. And that means backing up businesses, it means protecting people's jobs, it means helping the unemployed, and it means ensuring that people don't face repossession. And we are taking the action. And he wants to concentrate on numbers because he wants to avoid facing up to the fact that they have got proposals to cut public investment now exactly when... Mr Speaker, they have proposals to cut public investment this year just when the economy needs it most. And I understand that the Shadow Chancellor has revealed last week that he spends 40% of his time thinking about economics. It's amazing that he spends 40% of his time thinking about doing absolutely nothing. Mr William Perhaps the Leader of the House could spend 100% of the next minute trying to answer the question uh, that she was asked about what the Prime Minister meant by a 0% rise. Is it not now clear that every single word of the assertion that he made last week is wrong? That total spending is not going to rise, and then it, there would not even be a 0% rise, as he bizarrely called it in 2013, but that the figures she mentioned in the government's own books show that there would be a fall. And since so many supporters of the government are now calling for honesty about spending, shouldn't she find it in herself to do what the Prime Minister refuses to do, which is to actually admit the facts of the government's own figures? Will she come down on the side of reality and say that on the government's own figures, total spending is set to fall? Well, our honest and committed view is that we need... <laughs> is that we need to invest now to back up the economy in order to make sure that the situation, not only for individuals who've worked hard to build up their businesses, not only to protect them, but to make sure that the situation is not worse in the longer term. And how telling it is that they only want to talk about figures in five years' time to distract attention away from the action that they do not back up that we are taking now. Well, there's no need to talk about the figures in five years' time. Since the government's own figures show that capital spending will fall from £44 billion this year and fall every year to £22 billion in four years' time, isn't the point that capital spending is being halved an absolutely indisputable fact? I 
think that the uh, right honourable gentleman knows full well that the reason for the figures is because we are bringing forward capital spending. We are not cutting capital spending. We have increased it and we are bringing it forward because just as, for example, the private sector construction industry is facing dire times, we think it's right to bring forward capital investment in public construction, not only for the sake of the children's centres and the schools and the hospitals and the homes that will be built, but also because of the jobs that it will create. And the truth is, there is a big distinction because whilst we are investing and bringing forward that capital investment, they would actually pull the plugs on the public sector just when the private sector is struggling. Mr Speaker, the statement by the Leader of the House that we are not cutting capital spending, when the government's own figures show capital spending declining from 44 to 22 billion, is exactly the sort of statement that damages the credibility of politics and the credibility of this government. It's no wonder they're abandoning their numeracy strategy when ministers won't admit that 22 is half of 44. (laughs) Is she aware that the figures from the Institute of Fiscal Studies show that the level of capital spending from 2013 as a proportion of national income would be below the average for the whole 18 years of the last Conservative government? That is the capital spending that they are intending to deliver. And isn't it also true that the huge increase in debt interest and the rise in unemployment on the government's own figures mean it's also an indisputable fact that their projections lead to departmental spending falling heavily over the next few years. Why can't she admit the facts? He mentions capital spending, and I've made it clear we're bringing it forward. He mentions unemployment. And we are taking the action to protect people's jobs and unemployment would be growing uh, if we'd have made the cuts that he's suggesting. And when it comes to the estimates on unemployment, let me say that our estimate is that if we hadn't have taken the action that we've taken to back up business and protect people's jobs, there would have been 500,000 more people who would have lost their jobs if we hadn't have taken the action. And once again, Again, he talks about figures in 2013 and 2014, and let me say to him that the action that we are taking now will make sure that the public finances are in a better position because we will preve- prevent the recession being deeper and longer. Mr. William Hay. Speaker, the right honourable lady believes that capital spending is not being cut and that unemployment isn't growing. It is no wonder the government are so deeply out of touch with the people of this country. And with the condition of the economy. Isn't it the case that any government elected at the next election is going to inherit public finances in an unbelievable mess after 12 years of a Prime Minister who spent everything in the boom, who, who thought the bust would never occur, who believed it abolished the economic cycle. Now capital spending is being cut, total spending is being cut, departmental spending is set to be cut. Those are the government's own plans. And aren't those Labour cuts being brought in by a Labour Chancellor made necessary by the actions of a discredited Labour government over the last 12 years? We have 
rebuilt hospitals over the last 10 years, we have rebuilt schools, we have paid down debt, and we are now facing the challenge. Yes, yes. Apologise for interrupting the Leader of the House. There is simply far too much noise. Honourable and right honourable members need to calm down. Leader of the House. Um, and yes, we have paid down debt so that we have the second lowest debt in the G7. And we are responding to the challenge of this recession. And the truth is, it's the opposition that are embarrassed about their past, failing to face up to the challenge of the present and have nothing to offer the future. Des Brown. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Mr. Speaker, first may I uh, associate myself with the words of condolence for the brave and professional soldiers who have given their life in Afghanistan over the last week, and also those who so tragically lost their lives in that dreadful incident in my right honourable friend's constituency. Um, Mr. Speaker, thousands of people in Scotland, um, civic society, the churches, East Ayrshire Council, the Scottish Government, Scottish Enterprise, have joined in supporting the workforce in my constituency in the Johnny Walker plant in Kilmarnock, 700 of them, and those who work in the distribution plant owned by Diageo nearby. In seeking to persuade that company, and indeed we are joined by um, members across the House from all parties in Scotland, seeking to persuade Diageo not to discard two centuries of loyal, hard-working, profit-making contribution to their business in the name of improved shareholder value. Well, well, will my right honourable friend join them in that, and, and will she pledge the government support to that campaign? I know that uh, my right honourable friend, the, Scot the Scottish Secretary, is meeting the Chief Executive of Diageo today and will be urging him to think again about the proposed closure of their Kilmarnock plant, as the right honourable, uh, my right honourable friend requests. This announcement is very bad news for the workers and their families and will be a body blow to Kilmarnock. My right honourable friend will also be seeking an assurance from Diageo to commit to looking seriously at alternative options the workers and Scottish enterprise come up with. Dr Vincent Cable. Yeah. Could I add my condolences to the families of the seven brave servicemen who died in Afghanistan and also to those of the victims of the Camberwell fire? Uh, in, in welcoming the Minister back to her temporary job running the country, uh, can I just express the hope that uh, when she was briefing the Prime Minister for his talks with his friend, Signor Berlusconi, uh, she remembered to enclose an Italian translation of her progressive views on gender equality. My question is about public sector pay. How does the government ex expect low-paid public sector workers, which she has rightly just defended, to accept restraint in an environment where the government is allocating to senior management, senior civil servants, large salaries, generous pensions, and very large bonuses averaging £10,000 a head? Yeah. Um, we've made it clear that we expect to see restraint at the top of the public sector. It's very important at, at, at difficult times that those that are in leadership positions in the public sector uh, take their responsibilities and set a good example. Dr Vincent Cable. It doesn't address the basic principle of why is it that two-thirds of all senior civil servants 
uh, expect to receive bonuses in order to get out of bed in the morning. The principle. Uh, can I address the issue of the most highly paid public servants, which are those who work in the publicly owned and guaranteed banks? Why does the government simply not stop bonuses within those banks? These are publicly owned banks, owned by the taxpayer. Why doesn't the government simply say no? Well, the government has made very clear indeed that we want to see an end to recklessness where people have uh, enriched themselves whilst gambling with other people's money and have given themselves big bonuses as rewards for failure. We've made it clear that we expect action from the Financial Services Authority and the Chancellor will be making a statement about that shortly. Tasha Engel. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Until very recently, I had the great honour of being a trustee of the much-respected UK Youth Parliament, uh, where they've been working very hard on bringing together proposals for a consultation to reach about a million young people aged between 11 and 18 to get their views on politics and democracy. Will she help me to support the UK Youth Parliament to get this very, very important consultation out and make sure that this, this project is as successful as all of us here need it to be? Yeah. I agree with my honourable friend that we need to do everything we can to increase the involvement of young people in politics and I congratulate her on the consistent work that she's done on this issue. Uh, I think it's very important indeed that at last this House has decided that when the House is not sitting, the UK Youth Parliament can use this change chamber and you never know, when we see the way they conduct their proceedings, we might even learn something from them. Andrew George. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, Cornwall has been uh, satisfying government's house-building strategy by growing faster than almost anywhere else. In fact, um, more than doubling its housing stock in the last 40 years, and yet the housing problems of local people have got dramatically worse over that time. Rather than grinding on with another 20 years of of a failed strategy, which has turned Cornwall into a developer's paradise building unaffordable housing, cannot the government give Cornwall the power to concentrate on meeting the now desperate need of local families. Well, I think we want to make sure uh, that his region, that his county of Cornwall does have not only the power but the resources to make sure that there is more affordable housing for rent uh, and for people to buy. And that's why in the budget this year we announced nationally a further £400 million to provide 9,000 more homes to rent or to buy. And in Building Britain's Future, which we announced last year, we put forward a further £1.5 billion over the next two years so that we could have 20,000 energy-efficient, affordable homes for young families, some of which, I'm sure, will come to Cornwall. Anthony Wright. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Can I tell my right hon. Friend that on Monday, while some Conservatives were celebrating the 20th anniversary of the ending of the Dock Labour Scheme with the guest speaker, the architect of that legislation, the Lord uh, Fowler, uh, that 11 of my dock workers were being told that their jobs were going to be ended to take up uh, on the basis of casualisation of the port. This despite the fact that the Lord Fowler, when he was Minister in this House, gave an assurance that this would not be a return to casualisation. Would my right honourable friend join with me in encouraging the employers to return to the negotiation table to secure the future of the port dock uh, labour scheme within Great Yarmouth so that we can ensure uh, continued employment for the future? Yeah. 
Well, that I know my honourable friend fights hard for the dock workers and for those industries that are dependent on the docks in his constituency, and I will raise the question that he's asked me with my right honourable friends, the ministers in the relevant department, and ask that they should meet him to discuss taking that forward. John Maples, the uh, seven soldiers killed in Afghanistan, whose names she gave us at the beginning of this question session, bring to about 170, in fact exactly 170, the tragic total of those killed in Afghanistan since uh, 2006. Many people in my constituency are starting to doubt the wisdom of this war, and I wonder if she could remind the House just precisely what is our military objective in Afghanistan. I think that the uh, Honourable Gentleman makes a very important point indeed, and I think that we don't want anyone to be in any doubt about the importance of this mission in Afghanistan. It is important to make sure that in the mountainous regions surrounding Afghanistan and Pakistan, we do not have a crucible for the development of terrorism, which threatens not only the people in that country, but threatens the region and indeed the whole world. I think that this mission is important too for the education of people in that country. There are now six million children in school in Afghanistan, wherein in early 2001 there was only one million children in school. Our troops have paved the way, working with the other international forces to make that possible. They are paving the way for economic development, for a more secure democracy, as well as security in the region and the world. And I think that we are very clear, we want to make clear to our soldiers, to their families, families and to people in this country that we have no doubt about the importance of the mission in Afghanistan. Lindsay Hoyle. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My right honourable friend is aware at the moment that we have hard-pressed families and businesses alike struggling to pay the price of fuel at the pump. It has gone up substantially. Would she look to having a conversation with the Prime Minister and the Chancellor to see if she can scrap or at least defer the 2p duty increase that's due to come in September? Well, I think uh, there is a real concern about the increase in fuel prices, not only the cost of petrol at the pumps, but also the effect um, on people in their homes and businesses of the increase in the oil prices. We've got to make sure that there is fairness, uh, that we protect the people from the increase uh, in, in price rises, that there's proper transparency and that there's help uh, for those uh, who struggle to make ends meet. Neil Kaczynski. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Over 300 members of Parliament have signed the early day motion on equitable life, seeking justice for equitable life policyholders. The vast majority of these MPs have joined the all-party group seeking justice for equitable life, which I chair. Unfortunately, Sir John Chadwick, who has been appointed by the government to review the compensation scheme, refuses to come before us to interact with us. Would she use her good offices to ask him to reconsider so that he can be accountable to us and through us to the British people? Well, we all believe strongly that there should be justice for the equitable life policyholders who, who have fallen victim to mismanagement that stretches back into the 80s and also for a failure in the regulatory system for which the government has apologised and recognised the need to set up ex gratia uh, compensation. 
And in order to establish how we should do that following the Ombudsman's report, we've asked Sir John Chadwick to report on making uh, progress on setting up a framework for compensation. Uh, the Chief Secretary to the Treasury, as then was, gave a statement to the House. There have been debates in Westminster Hall, and we will make sure the House is updated. This is a very, very important issue, and we will make sure there is justice for equitable life policyholders. To Alan Whitehead. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. May I welcome the plans and funding uh, set forward uh, last week uh, to enable uh, local authorities to build 150,000 new council houses over the next uh, 10 years. Does she have plans to ensure that those houses will be built to the highest sustainability standard and the highest possible level of the Code for Sustainable Homes? Will she ensure that local new local authority house building becomes an exemplar for sustainable and low energy housing in this country. I think my honourable friend is right, is the importance of this new uh, affordable home building programme under Britain, Building Britain's Future is not only the homes that it will provide, not only the jobs that will then be thereby created, but also that these will be homes which help reduce carbon emissions and help people who live in them uh, cut their fuel bills. So those issues that he raises will be addressed in the Building Britain's Future programme. Julia Goldsworthy. Minister told us to expect a statement on compensation for plural plaque sufferers after Easter. After Easter, the Justice Secretary told us that we would expect a statement before the summer recess. That's now two weeks away. Can we have assurances that there will be a statement in the next two weeks and not an announcement of further delay? Uh, we do want to make sure that there is a statement on the question of compensation for those who have developed plural plaques. This is um, one of the many uh, vicious uh, respiratory diseases which can be terminal, which uh, come on people just through the result of the work that they've undertaken. We want to make sure that they have proper compensation and following the House of Lords judgment, uh, we have to review the compensation system to make sure that it's fair to all. Ronnie Campbell. Like uh, the last speaker, the last question, a lot of my colleagues and myself are very disappointed that the plural plaque uh, victims have not got a compensation uh, scheme in place. Uh, unfortunately, that the Scottish Parliament are now on the verge of introducing the one. Uh, will my honourable friend drag the Justice Minister to that box and make a statement on the English yeah, and Welsh yeah. victims of plural plaque? Yeah. Well done, well done. Yeah. Um, I think my honourable friend and other of my honourable friends have made the position absolutely clear. They think this is a question of fundamental justice. They want the government to get on with it, and we must heed what has been said. Mr. Richard Ottaway. Uh, um, thank you, Mr. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, uh, at Prime Minister's Question Time about a year ago, I said to the, uh, I reminded the Prime Minister that no Labour government had left office with unemployment lower than when they'd started. His response was that it wouldn't happen on his watch. Is the government still holding to that view? <laughs> I think no Labour government has actually faced the global... <laughs> the global economic crisis 
uh, that this government is ensuring that this country comes through. And I think that no Labour government has done more to protect people from unemployment. And if he's concerned about unemployment, why doesn't he back the public sector investment which would create jobs? And why doesn't he back the investment in job centres which we are taking action on and his party would cut? Hugh Bailey. York has such a severe shortage of uh, affordable housing that many young people are being priced out of their own city. I welcome the Prime Minister's announcement last week of an extra £1.5 billion for affordable and energy efficient homes. Will my right honourable friend speak to the Homes and Communities Agency and ask them to meet me and councillors from York to discuss how this additional money could benefit our city? I will ask uh, the uh, head of the Homes and Communities Agency to meet uh, York Council uh, and my honourable friend. And isn't it telling, Mr Speaker, that across the House, from the Liberal Democrat benches and across the House on Labour benches, we've had people calling for more affordable house building, but we've got total silence from the Conservatives because they would not only be not putting in this extra investment, they'd be cutting back on the investment which is so sorely needed. And I can ensure all honourable members we will be taking the action to ensure that there is more affordable housing.